Well, it is good to be back in the saddle, so to speak. I, not that I had a, a, a big break off last quarter. I ended up substitute teaching in every class. <laughs> but David's class was especially fun to substitute teach in because I, uh, I know that material a little bit more, uh, a little bit better than some of the other things. Uh, when Richard asked me to substitute for the finance class that uh, first week, I was in a panic because um, all I know is that, uh, you know, buy low, sell high, and <laughs> uh, don't spend more than you make. But maybe that's more than some folks. More than coffers. As strange, as strange as, uh, as that may be, we're going, to lead, we're going to move into something a little stranger, and that's the Bible. <laughs> but it is good to be back with here. Uh, for folks who are new or are not used to seeing me without a mask, I'm Kevin, discipleship minister here. Been about a year. Um, been a little bit over a year now. That's pretty wild. Does it feel like it's been over a year? feels like 2020 is just continuing on. So, Anyway, the class that I wanted to teach this quarter is called Exploring Our Strange Bible. The Bible is, um, it's been around a long time, but there's some things in it that might surprise you. There's some things about how we got the Bible that you might not know. And there are some opinions out there in the world about the Bible that are just flat wrong. And there are some that are right, but you might not know they're right. And so I'm interested to dig into some of this stuff with y'all. Let me start off with this question. Uh, we got started a little bit late today. For those of you who normally have me in class, normally what I'll do is I'll go around and I'll have everybody say their name and then you'll answer a silly question or something like that. This just kind of gets us talking, gets us chatting. Uh, but we did get to start a little bit later today. First class, new classes this quarter, so folks are trying to figure out where they're going to go. Uh, so anyway, and man, how about Mark bringing it today? I, I really felt like that was one of his best that I've seen ever. Yeah, we should. Yeah, don't. Uh, I was gonna say, don't ball it up. If you liked it, tell him. But um, you know, man, I you know these uh, couple the guys who were baptized last week were sitting behind me, and we were all on the same page. Hey, man, yeah, preach, yeah, uh huh, all that stuff. So I, I, you know, if, if you felt especially moved and convicted or or encouraged by Mark's sermon today, take it from a fellow minister. It is nice to receive positive affirmation. If we have to receive negative feedback, it's best to do it if you already have a relationship with that person instead of going in their guns and blazing, right? So, anyway, we are going to move on to this class called Exploring Our Strange Bible, lesson number one. So if you're taking notes or anything like that, lesson number one is this, and I will say this a lot. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. That is a hot take. <laughs> the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. That is how I approach Scripture. Other folks approach it differently. They have different biases. I admit that I'm biased, right? I believe in Jesus. I'm not a disbeliever, right? So I admit that I'm biased in certain ways. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So let's start off with this question. I'm curious what y'all have heard. 
Curious what you uh, maybe have seen on TV or read in a newspaper somewhere. What are some of the strangest things you've heard about the Bible? Okay. What are some of the strangest things you've heard about the Bible? No wrong answers here. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, my first wife was Jewish until I got to know her family really well. Okay. Her father used to accuse me of being a Paulista because he said yeah. that the Bible was really about Paul, not about Jesus. <laughs> okay. So not about the New Testament the New especially. Testament was all about Paul. All about yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, I think I, I didn't know at the time what this kid's religion was, but reflecting on it years later, I think when I was in sixth grade, I had a Muslim classmate, and he I remember him telling me one time that Christians changed the Bible. Okay, like, like I said, I was sixth grade, didn't didn't really know what he meant by that, but I heard that Christians changed the Bible. We've heard that the Bible is uh, all about Paul, or at least the New Testament's all about Paul. Anybody else? Yeah, come on, something strange you've seen. Yes? As a layman, um, to establish title, uh, the Bible can serve as evidence of family history and ownership here in of land here okay. as a secondary resource. However, they will dispute the validity of the words inside, but if their family marital history and whatnot is listed or, you know, inside the Bible, then it has some value in the like like a legally binding document. Wow. Yeah. It's secondary, but it is proof. Secondary. Yeah. Okay. Kind of corroborating evidence. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else heard anything weird? Anybody seen the History Channel recently? Okay. Yeah. Sean. Easier for a rope? Yeah, for a rope to go through the eye of an animal. Oh, then I can. Which, you know, we have to do sure. a bunch of intellectual genuflexing to get around it that it's, you know, the other way around. That's, uh, yeah, kind of a strange, uh, strange translation there. About, like, the eye of the needle, which is the name of one of the gates. See, that's what uh, yeah. Yeah. Always, uh, always, yeah, there's, yeah, uh, there's creative explanations for right, how. The, whereas the yeah. Eastern Orthodox maintains. Sure, that. yeah. It, it's broke. It doesn't change. It, either one is impossible. Yeah. And Jesus was certainly known to speak in hyperbole from time to time, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do with it? According to Jesus, right? Cut it off. Okay, well, that's obviously hyperbole. Yes, sir? Sometimes I've heard people refer to it as a book of don'ts. Book of don'ts. Yeah, it, does it, depending on what kinds of Christians they come in contact with, it makes sense to me that some people might think about it like that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I have a bunch of family who's Catholic and they think that you know, just an everyday ESV or like a regular translation Bible is incomplete. That because they don't have all the saints and stuff and that Christian, some Christian 
Right. Yeah. Catholic Bible has the books that are commonly referred to as the Apocrypha. Show of hands, how many of you have heard that word before? Apocrypha refers to a collection of works that are actually interesting reading, but uh, they're not recognized uh, as scripture by other folks. They are recognized as scripture by some. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, when he was young, man, he, a, a Christian co worker actually you know, actually told him, like, you know, why are you reading all this extra stuff? Why aren't you just reading this? Mm-hmm. He said, if you ask his priest, and they said, well, if you're going to question it, it's fine not being for you. Ouch. Ooh. Kind of like that was a paraphrase. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. The Apocrypha, all Bibles printed in the United States up until 1890s. Pretty wild, yeah. And then, right along with the uh, restoration movement, that's when you see all of a sudden the change in the printing of the Bible. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't, didn't know that the restoration movement had something to do with that. You mentioned, the, or someone mentioned the dunks. Right. One of, my, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible, you know, from Micah. You know, he has shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah. Dudes. Right. Yeah, I really enjoyed Randall's communion devotional this morning, where he where he came from Micah six. Okay, qu- uh, let's let's uh, let's move on. Show of hands. Do you prefer the Old Testament? If you had <laughs> show of hands, is anybody is anybody in here is their favorite testament the Old Testament, as opposed to the New Testament? <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the New Testament. Yeah, as opposed to an instruction manual for installing a refrigerator. <laughs> Old Testament. Okay, uh, show of hands. Is your favorite testament the New Testament? <laughs> Not surprising there. Okay, why is the Old Testament off-putting for so many people? Big words. Big words. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I drive to work at seven and then read the Bible up until it's time to go inside. Mm-hmm. And starting with, the, I yeah. told to start reading the Old Testament and go try to read three chapters, blah blah. Yeah. And it's very confusing to a new Christian. Yeah, and the Old Testament the, is is kind of strange. But for that matter, so is Acts, where Paul has the image laid down before him. You know, uh, not Paul, Peter. Peter had the you know showed the the beast of the world. Oh, right, yeah, the sheet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. other part is tedious. Tedious? Yes, ma'am? I'm the half full glass person. Yeah. And to me, the New Testament is positive. Okay. Does the Old Testament feel more negative? Yeah, there's, there's some stuff in there. It can, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Chronological study Bible. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of weird laws in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of strange names. Okay. A lot of strange names. Parts of the Old Testament that are almost pornographic. Song of Solomon. Yeah. Not about Jesus and the church. 
Um, there's that style where they're too repetitive. You know, they'd say something where, you know, yeah. God spoke to some prophet, blah, 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 told him to go to these people and go blah, 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 blah. Then next you see the prophet come down. And, yeah, and he goes and he tells them. Yeah, exactly. And the next part is, yeah. and the people sir, heard someone and he said, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. Holy hand grenade. Strange names. Oh, <laughs> Skip a bit, brother. Yeah. Um, a lot of strange names, yeah. Mahalalel, my favorite, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. That's a good one. It means, yeah, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. That's the longest name in the Old Testament. It means swift to the spoils. No wonder they gave you a doctorate. I just had to list all the fancy names as fast as I could. I would not have my doctor if I had to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Old Testament is weird, right? Okay, so let me ask this. I think we've hinted at some of this. Why do you prefer the New Testament? Seems a bit more positive. Why do you prefer the New Testament? Because it's about, it's about, I'm sorry, go ahead. It offers salvation. Salvation. Joe, yes. It's the New Covenant. It's the New Covenant. Ron, what were you going to say? Ron, I thought you had a, I thought you had a remark. Okay, appreciate it. Elgin? See the payoff. Yeah. See the payoff. Ridge. Because it is the rest of the story. It is the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah. The New Testament, right? It's Jesus. Yeah. In my notes, I have an exclamation point after Jesus. It's got Jesus in it. Salvation. Does it feel more practical? Does the New Testament feel more practical? Like there's more practical stuff in there, right? As opposed to just the histories and all these names and... All this stuff. Now, there's a lot of laws, sure, but we don't keep all those laws, right? All 613, we don't keep all those laws. I had a cheeseburger. I had a cheeseburger almost every day I was in Arkansas. <laughs> that's, that's not kosher. Yes, sir. I had James, which to me is like the daily handbook of living. It's got so much practical. A lot of good stuff. Yeah. How to act when you're being treated wrong. You know, just a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Me busy just doing simple little things. I don't have to worry about all the gaps and yeah. all the 713 laws that the ancient Jews had to do. Sure. Yeah. That, to, in fairness to them, they weren't very good at them either. But to be fair, if you're a survivalist and you didn't know anything, you have the Old Testament, you follow that dietary habit, you do pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's not, not a bad. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about why the Old Testament laws. Food laws are the way they are. But let's, uh, let's move on. Every story has a point, right? At least every good story, right? Every story has a point. So quickly, what is the point of the Old Testament? Laura? We're learning about God, right? Okay. New Testament is, yeah, it's your righteous salvation, but the Old Testament, I feel, is once you get, you know, teach someone salvation, teach someone about God. This is kind of God's story, New Testament is our story. Kind of how I, how I kind of thought it, how I heard it explained to me. And yeah. I, like, I, I can see that. Is, like, God's history, God's people, why God did what God did, mm -hmm. and now, okay, learn from 
Yeah. A lot of learning is involved, yeah. Anybody else real quick? What, what's the point of the Old Testament? History. History? Right. And, and it sets, sets the outline, if you will, or the, it, it tells us of the things to come. Yeah. What's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Truth and for doctrine. Yeah. It shows us through the Psalms, especially, what it takes to be a man after God's own heart. Mm. Because yeah. if you look at David, he, he was a mercenary. Okay. Sure. He, that man, he was a killer. He's not just a murderer. Right. But he was a warrior. All of these bad yeah. things. And yet, you read Psalms and then you get a glimpse of Scripture still life. affirms that kind of stuff. Yeah. Melanie, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think one way we could describe the point of the Old Testament is this. And, and we've all touched on various aspects of what I'm about to say. To show God's covenant loyalty and by contrast Israel's covenant disloyalty. To turn Israel's heart to God in order to fulfill the charge given in this little section of Scripture called the Shema. Turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This little section of Scripture is called the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word. That means, hear, listen, pay attention. It's kind of a, it's given like a command, like an imperative. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Can somebody read just those two verses for us, please? Whoever has it, feel free. Yeah, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Amen. That is the charge given to Israel. Now the setting of Deuteronomy is this. The reason why it's called Deuteronomy is it's two Greek words that they smooshed together to make a title for this. Deutero meaning second. The word nomi coming from the Greek word for law. So it's intended as kind of a second giving, a second giving of the law. Like a second giving of the law. We saw the law given in Exodus and Leviticus. There's a re-giving of that law to the generation that is now about to go into the promised land. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. Give me a second, Rich, let me run through this. These verses are kind of at the cap kind of on the outset. They're not the first things mentioned in Deuteronomy, but these kind of stand as, okay, if we're going to summarize all of this, be loyal. Show fidelity, allegiance, covenant loyalty, faithfulness, and love 
to Yahweh and to no other. And to no other. No question. This, is, this isn't how the Old Testament begins. But a new phase of the Old Testament story begins this way because now the people are finally about to enter into the promised land. And when they do, the rest of the story begins, right? We begin to see how the conquest goes with Joshua. We begin to see how the various tribes interacted with each other and their neighbors in Judges and in Ruth. And then we begin to see how those tribes continued to interact and sometimes get along, sometimes not get along. And sometimes be too interested in what their neighbors were up to in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then the prophets come. Okay, so the rest of the story begins after the Israelites move into the promised land. What then, or excuse me, how then does the Old Testament end how does it end Malachi looking forward to Christ I, I thought you said Malachi yeah Malachi looking forward to somebody did you know that there are actually two different endings to the Old Testament depending this is a strange thing you might not know but we're exploring our strange Bible, amen? <laughs> there are two different endings depending on which arrangement of the Old Testament you are reading. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 36. And don't be afraid if you have to look in your table of contents to find 2 Chronicles, okay? 2 Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36, the last few verses in there. The end of the Hebrew and Aramaic. There's a handful of chapters here and there in Aramaic. The end of the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Old Testament, is Second Chronicles. That's the last book in the arrangement in the Hebrew Bible. In our English Bibles, the last book is Malachi. All right, so we've got these two endings. We can roll with this. Maybe there's something we can learn about why these things end the way they do. All right, now keep in mind, when we are in the part of Second Chronicles, Israel does not have national independence. They do not have national independence. The captives from Babylon the ones who chose to go back, have been allowed to return back home. They've, re they've finished rebuilding the temple that sat desolate, that area sat desolate for roughly 70 years, prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. It was destroyed in 586 B.C., and then they was finished rebuilding in 515 B.C., so roughly 70 years. All right, let's take a look. Second Chronicles chapter 36 Verses 15 through 23. Verses 15 through 23, and I will pull those up for us. 
And uh, we will read that here in just a second. Let me pull that up. This is a summary, basically a summary of Old Testament history unto, at this time, the present day. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, persistently sent to them by his messengers, reading prophets, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, the temple. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord against his people became so great that there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans. When you read the Old Testament and you see the letter C-H, um, it's always a K sound. It's always a K sound. Uh, Hebrew didn't have the letters CH, like, like in English or Spanish. He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their youths with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or young woman, the aged or the feeble. He gave them all into his hand, all the vessels of the house of God, large and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officials, all these he brought to Babylon. So the Chaldeans is another way to talk about the Babylonians. They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Persia is rooted in the modern-day country of Iran. To fulfill, verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had made up for its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. All right, that refers to some prophecies that we don't have time to get into. But here's the last two verses of the end of the Hebrew Bible. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a herald throughout all the kingdom and also declared in a written edict, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people... May the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Meaning, you can make the trek up to the Judean highlands. You may go back home. Period. It ends on kind of a happy note. But there's no king. And so there's a sense of these promises to David have been left unfulfilled. These promises to David that there would be somebody from his line reigning in Israel forever are left unfinished. All right, that's Second Chronicles. Okay, let's turn over to Malachi chapter 4. This is the last book of the English Bible, excuse me, English Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. Start in verse 4. These are the last three verses of the English Old Testament. All right, so after a series 
This comes after a series of accusations against Israel's faithlessness. Okay, so keep that in mind. Malachi says, Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai, the place where God delivered the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Malachi says, Look, behold, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. Period. End of the English Old Testament. All right, so in Second Chronicles, we saw that there's this call for whoever wants to go back up to the Judean highlands and worship at Yahweh's temple, you can. It's kind of left open-ended. Who? What's that? New Revised Standard Version. And occasionally I'll edit a word here and there. If I, Like verse 5 in Malachi 4 says, begins with the word low. Like, low I will send a prophet to you. Okay, well, yeah, all right. I changed that to behold. Anyway, who does, uh, who does Malachi say God will send to his people? Elijah. Elijah. Okay. This is anticipating something in the future. Second Chronicles anticipates something in the future. The Old Testament ends, right? Regardless of whether you're reading in the Hebrew Bible arrangement or the English arrangement, the Old Testament ends where there's a sense of hope, but also a clear sense of incompletion. The end hasn't come yet. Specifically, these promises to David that I just mentioned. Ron, did you have a comment or question? It's just the same books, they're arranged differently. Yeah, same books, they're arranged differently. Good question. Yeah, so the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew Old Testament, and the English Old Testament, they have the same books, they're just arranged a little differently. Some of the books are combined together in, in some, some editions also. So like instead of First and Second Samuel, in the Greek Old Testament, they just combine them all together. So anyway, yeah, same books. All right, so Jews, after the Old Testament, they, they're waiting for something. Jews, after this time, they're waiting for something, the, uh, the arrival of the Messiah, but there was a diversity of opinion about what kind of figure he, the Messiah would be, how and when he would arrive. Now, they generally acknowledge this passage that we just read in Malachi, right? They recognize that in some shape, form, or fashion, Elijah the prophet was going to need to come. And that would give them some clue about the Messiah's arrival, but honestly, not much else was certain. Not right, not at the end. Um, it would come near the end of like about two-thirds of the way through. Because the Jewish Bible is arranged in three big chunks, what's called Torah, 
and then prophets, which includes Joshua all the way through Malachi. And then the writings, like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then Second Chronicles is actually in that collection of writings as well. Uh, good question, Melanie. Jesus. Jesus is the first person that we know of who read the Old Testament in this way that directs us to him. Let's turn quickly to Luke chapter 24. I know what y'all are thinking. Yeah, we're getting to the good stuff now. <laughs> Luke chapter 24, we'll start in verse 13. While you're turning there, I'll, I'll read. Now on that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and walked alongside them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days, notice Jesus does not say, I am the only stranger. He just simply asks a question for clarification. What things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned and crucified. Okay, you know the rest of this. Then Jesus says to them in verse 25, Oh, how foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Verse 27 is the kicker here that I want to emphasize. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus says in no uncertain terms here that the Old Testament gives us hints here and there about some final decisive act of God that culminates in the life, death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. The all through the Old Testament Let's use the English arrangement. Genesis through Malachi, there are hints given here and there. And that Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension are the keys to unlocking the Old Testament. I've been reading a book by an Australian Bible scholar. I really like what he says here. He says, a central conviction in the Christian understanding of Scripture should be that Jesus fulfills what was promised to Israel about the Messiah in the Old Testament and Jesus remains the primary subject matter of the New Testament. And so look at it like this. The early Christians, they look at Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and his ascension, and they use those events as kind of like the lens through which they read and make sense of the Old Testament. 
And so the way that Christians read and make sense of the entire Bible is through the lens of the enthroned Messiah of God. Now that might make the Old Testament a little bit more interesting if we're aware that Jesus himself read the same stories that we read and he saw in them ways, patterns, and prophecies that point us toward him. Let's take a look at a couple of patterns and we'll wrap up with this, okay? Take Adam. Turn to Romans 5, but take Adam, for example. Whew, man, doing well. We've got three minutes. I might take five. I'm sorry. <laughs> take Adam, for example. First human. Paul describes Adam as the one through whom sin and death came into the world. All right, so let's take a look at this. Romans chapter 5. There's a lot of discussion about this in Romans, but let's turn to verse 18. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. I'm giving you just kind of the, the truncated version, the summary version of Paul's argument here. But he says, therefore, just as one man's trespass, talking about Adam, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness, talking about Jesus, leads to justification and life for all. For just as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Paul is taking a cue from Jesus here. Paul looks at somebody like Adam and he sees a pattern. This one person made this decision that affected the entire world and humanity in a similar way. Jesus, this one person's decisions made, made a way to greatly affect and change the destiny of humanity. There's a pattern here. One man's disobedience affects all of history. One man's obedience affects all of history. This is how Paul is reading Scripture. This is how Jesus himself is reading Scripture. Instead of just looking at Adam and asking questions like, yeah, well, did we come from monkeys and stuff like that? That's not how Paul is asking. That's not kinds of things that Paul is asking. Paul is saying, look at what happened there. There's a pattern. The importance of one person's decisions affecting all of human, all humans. Look at Jesus. The importance of his obedience to the point of death on the cross affecting all people. There's a pattern. There's a similarity. We could go on. We'll do this very quickly. Abraham. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, right there at the beginning, first three verses. 
Now, the Lord says to Abram, this is before his name has been changed, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a promise to Abraham. By the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, do you feel like all the families of the earth are, have been blessed by, by this group called the Israelites? Not yet. No. No, we don't get any sense of that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll wrap up with this. Matthew is looking at all of the Old Testament and saying, these promises to Abraham, they're preparing us for something. We see little hints, little bits and pieces throughout the entire story of God's work with his people in Israel. We come all the way from this thousands of years. We come up and then take a look at the very first verse in the New Testament. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of whom? Abraham. Matthew tells us on, the, on page one, there is a way for us to make sense of everything that has happened and that it has been working its way slowly but surely toward this climactic person, the Old Testament, according to Christians, the Old Testament makes most sense through the lens of Jesus, the enthroned Christ. That's how the Old Testament makes sense. And brothers and sisters, that is how we are going to approach exploring our strange Bible for October, November, and December. I've got to let us out because parents need to go get kids, but appreciate y'all's comments, questions, and, um, and your attention today, and we will see you next time.